it's time to relax, grab a drink, pull up a chair by the hearth, and have a seat in the Scald Circle to listen to the remainder of Chapter 1 and the beginning of Chapter 2 of The High Deeds of Finn and Other Bardic Romances of Ancient Ireland, as told by Minogan. By midnight, the hurricane descended upon the Straits of Moyle, and the waves roared upon the coast with a deafening noise, and thunder bellowed from the sky, and lightning was all the light that they had. The swans were driven apart by the violence of the storm, and when at last the wind fell and the seas grew calm once more, Finola found herself upon the ocean tide, not far from the seal rock, and thus she made her lament. Woe is to me to yet be alive. My wings are frozen to my sides. Well nigh has the tempest shattered my heart, and my comely hue parted from me. O oh, my beloved ones, my three, who slept under the shelter of my feathers, shall you and I ever meet again until the dead rise to life? Where is Fiaka? Where is Hugh? Where is my fair Con? Shall I henceforth bear my part alone? Woe is me for this disastrous night. Finola remained upon the seal rock until the morrow morn, watching the tossing waters in all directions about her, until at last she saw Cone coming towards her, and his head drooping and feathers drenched and disarrayed. Joyfully did the sister welcome him, and ere long behold, Fiaka also approaching them, cold and wet and faint, and the speech was frozen in him that not a word he spake could be understood. So Finola put her wings about him and said, If but you came now, how happy should we be! In no long time after that they saw Hugh Ultra approaching them from across the sea, and his head was dry and his feathers fair and unruffled, for he had found shelter from the gale. Finola put him under her breast, and Con under her right wing, and Fiaka under her left, and covered them wholly with her feathers. O oh, children, she said to them, evil though you think this might have been, many such a one shall we know from this time forward. So there the swans continued, suffering, cold, and misery upon the tides of Moyle. And one while they would be upon the coast of Alba, and another upon the coast of Erin, but the waters they might not leave. At length there came upon them a night of bitter cold and snow, such as they had never felt before, and Finola sang them this lament. Evil is this life, the cold of this night, the thickness of the snow, the sharpness of the wind. How long have they lain together, under my soft wings, the waves beating upon us, Conan, Hugh, and Fiaka? Aoife has doomed us, us, the four of us, tonight to this misery, evil is this life. Thus for a long time they suffered, till at length there came upon the Straits of Moyle, a night of January so piercing cold, that the like of it had never been felt, and the swans were gathered together upon the seal rock. The waters froze into ice around them, and each of them became frozen in his place so that their feet and feathers clung to the rock. And when the day came and they strove to leave the place, the skin of their feet and the feathers of their breasts clove to the rock, and they came naked and wounded away. Woe is me, O children of Leah, said Finola. We are now indeed in evil case, for we cannot endure the salt water, yet we may not be away from it. And if the salt water gets into our sores, 
we shall perish of it. And thus she sang. Tonight we are full of keening, no plumage to cover our bodies, and cold to our tender feet. And the rough rocks all awash, cruel to us was Aoife who played her magic upon us, and drove us out into the ocean, four wonderful snow-white swans. Our bath is a frothing brine in the bay by red rocks guarded. For meat at our father's table we drink of the salt blue sea. Three sons and a single daughter. In clefts of the cold rock dwelling, the hard rocks cruel to mortals. We are full of keening tonight. So they went forth again upon the straits of Moyle, and the brine was grievously sharp and bitter to them. But they could not escape it nor shelter themselves from it. Thus they were, till at last their feathers grew again, and their sores were healed. On one day it happened that they came to the mouth of the river Ban in the north of Erin, and there they perceived a fair host of horsemen riding on white steeds and coming steadily onward towards the southwest. Do ye know who young riders are, children of Lear? asked Finola. We know not, said they, but it is like that they are some party of the people of Dana. Then they moved to the margin of the land, and the company they had seen came down to meet them. And behold, it was Hugh and Fergus, the two sons of Bove the Red, and their nobles and attendants with them, who had been seeking for the swans along the coast of the Straits of Moyle. Most lovingly and joyfully did they greet each other and the swans inquired concerning their father Lear and Bove the Red and the rest of their kinsfolk. They are well, said the Danans. And at this time they are all assembled together in the palace of your father at the hill of the White Field, where they are holding the festival of the age of youth. They are happy and gay to have no weariness or trouble, save that you are not among them, and they have not known where you were since you left them at Lugderivag. That is not the tale of our lives, said Finola. After that, the company of the Danans departed and brought word of the swans to Bove the Red and to Lear, who were rejoiced to hear that they were living. For, said they, the children shall obtain relief in the end of time. And the swans went back to the tides of Moyle and abode there till the time in that place had expired. When the day had come, Finola declared it to them, and they rose up wheeling in the air and flew westward across Ireland till they came once to the Bay of Eris and there they abode as was ordained. Here it happened that among those mortal men, whose dwellings bordered on the bay, was a young man of gentle blood, by name Everick, who having heard the singing of the swans came down to speak with them, and became their friend. After that he would often come to hear the music, for it was very sweet to him, and he loved them greatly and they him. All this story they told him, and he it was who set it down in order even as if it were here narrated. Much hardship did they suffer from cold and tempest in the waters of the western sea, yet not so much as they had to bear by the coast of the ever-stormy moil. And they knew that the day of redemption was now drawing near. In the end of time, Finola said, Brothers, let us fly to the hill of the white field, and see how Lear, our father, and his households are faring. So they arose and set forward on their airy journey until they reached the hill of the Whitefield. And thus it was that they found the place, namely desolate and thorny before them, 
with naught but green mounds where once the palaces and homes of their kin, and forests of nettles growing over them, and never was there a house nor a hearth. And the four drew closely together and lamented loud at the sight, for they knew that old times and things had passed away in Erin. And they were lonely in the land of strangers, where no man lived who could recognize them, when they came to their human shapes again. They knew that not Leah and their kin of the people of Dana yet dwelt invisible in the bright world within the fairy mountains, for their eyes were holden that they should not see, since other things were destined for them to be joined in Danan folk, and be the company of the immortal she. So they went back again to the western sea until the holy Patrick came into Ireland, and preached the faith of the one God and of Christ. But a man of Patrick's men, namely the Sang Makovog, came to the island of Inish Glory in Eris Bay, and there built himself a little church of stone, and spent his life in preaching to the folk and in prayer. The first night he came to the island, the swans heard the sound of his bell ringing at matins on this following morn, and they leapt in terror. And the three brethren left Finola and fled away. Finola cried to them, What ails you, beloved brothers? We know not, said they, but we have heard a thin and dreadful voice and we cannot tell what it is. That is the voice of the bell of Mokovog, said Finola, and it is the bell that shall deliver us and drive away our pains, according to the will of God. Then the brethren came back and hearkened to the chant of the cleric, until matins were performed. Let us chant our music now, said Finola. So they began, and chanted a solemn, slow, sweet fairy song, in adoration of the High King of Heaven and Earth. Mokovog heard that and wondered, and when he saw the swans, he spoke to them and inquired them. They told him that they were the children of Leah. Praise be to God for that, said Mokovog. Surely it is for your sakes that I have come to this island above every other island that is in Erin. Come to land now, and trust in me that your salvation and release are at hand. So they came to land, and dwelt with Mokovog in his own home, and there they kept the canonical hours with him and heard mass, and Mokovog caused a great craftsman to make chains of silver for the swans, and put one chain between Finola and Hugh, and another between Con and Fiaka, and they were a joy and solace of mind to the saint, and their own woe and pain seemed to them dim and far off as a dream. Now at this time it happened that the king of Connacht was Lergan, son of the Colman, and he was betrothed to Dioca, daughter of the king of Munster. And so it was that when Dioca came northward to be wedded to Lergan, she heard the tale of the swans and of their singing, and she prayed the king that he would obtain them for her, for she longed to possess them, but Lergan would not ask them of Mokovog. Then Dioca set out homeward again, and vowed, that she would never return to Lergen till she had the swans. And she came as far as the church of Giola, which is now called Kildalo, in Clare. Then Lergen sent messengers for the birds to Mokovog, but he would not give them up. At this, Lergen was very wroth, and he went himself to Mokovog, and he found the cleric and the four birds at the altar. But Lergen seized upon the birds by their silver chains, two in each hand, dragging them away to the place where Dioka was and Mokovog followed them. But when they came to Dioka, 
And she laid her hands upon the birds. Behold, that their covering of feathers fell off, and in their places were three shrunken and feeble old men, and one lean and withered old woman, fleshless and bloodless from extreme old age. And Lagan was struck with amazement and fear, and went out from that place. Then Finola said to Mokovog, Come now, and baptize us quickly, for our end is near. And if you are grieved at parting from us, know that also to us it is a grief. Do thou make our grave when we are dead, and place Con at my right side, and Fiaka at my left, and Hugh before my face. For thus they were wont to be when I sheltered them on many a winter night by the tides of Moyle. So Markovog baptized the three brethren and their sister, and shortly afterwards they found peace and death, and they were buried even as Finola had said. And over the tomb a stone was raised, and their names and lineage graved on it in branching ogham. And lamentation and prayers were made for them, and their souls won to heaven. But Markovog was sorrowful, and grieved after them so long as he lived on earth. Chapter 2 The Quest of the Sons of Thurin Long ago, when the people of Dana yet held lordship in Aaron, they were sorely afflicted by hordes of sea rovers named Fomorians, who used to harry the country and carry off youths and maidens in captivity. They also imposed cruel and extortionate taxes upon the people, for every kneading trough and every quern for grinding corn and every flagstone for baking bread had to pay its tax. And an ounce of gold was paid as a poll tax for every man, and if any man would not or could not pay, his nose was cut off. Under this tyranny the whole country groaned, but they had none who was able to band them together and to lead them in battle against their oppressors. Now before this it happened that one of the lords of the Danans, named Kin, had married with Ethlin, daughter of Baelor, a princess of the Fomorians. They had a son named Lu Lamfada, or Lu of the Long Arm, who grew up into a youth of surpassing beauty and strength. And if his body were noble and mighty, no less so was his mind, for lordship and authority grew to him by the gift of the immortals, and whatever he proposed that he would perform, whatever it might cost in time or toil, in tears or in blood. Now this Lu was not brought up in Erin, but in a far-off isle of the western sea, where the sea-god Manon and the other immortals nurtured and taught him, and made him fit alike for warfare or for sovereignty. When his day should come to work with their will on earth, hither in due time came the report of the grievous and dishonouring oppression wrought by the Fomorians upon the people of Dana. And that report was heard by Lu. Then Lu said to his tutors, It were a worthy deed to rescue my father and the people of Aaron from this tyranny. Let me go thither and attempt it. And so they said to him, Go, and blessing and victory be with thee. So Lu armed himself and mounted his fairy steed, and called his friends and foster brothers about him, and across the bright and heaving surface of the waters they rode like the wind, until they took land in Aaron. Now the chiefs of the Danan folk were assembled upon the hill in Usnak, which is upon the western side of the Terra in Meath in order to meet there the stewards of the Fomorians and pay to them their tribute. And as they awaited the arrival of the Fomorians, they became aware of a company on horseback, coming from the west, before whom rode a young man who seemed to be in command of all of them. 
and whose countenance was as radiant as the sun upon a dry summer's day, so that the Danans could scarcely gaze upon it. He rode upon a white horse and was armed with a sword, and on his head was a helmet set with precious stones. The Danan folk welcomed him as he came among them, and asked him of his name and his business among them. As they were thus talking, another band drew near, numbering nine times nine persons, who were the stewards of the Fomorians, coming to demand their tribute. They were men of a fierce and swarthy countenance, and as they came haughtily and arrogantly forward, the Danans all rose up to do them honor. Then Luce said, Why do you rise up before that grim and ill-looking band and not before us? Said the king of Aaron, We needs must do so, for if they saw but a child of a month old sitting down when they came near, they would hold it cause enough to attack and slay us. I am greatly minded to slay them, said Lou, and he repeated it, very greatly minded. That would be bad for us, said the king, for our death and destruction would surely follow. Ye are too long under oppression, said Lou, and gave the word for onset. So he and his comrades rushed upon the Fomorians, and in a moment the hillside rang with blows and with the shouting of warriors. In no time, all of the Fomorians were slain, save nine men, and these were taken alive and brought before Lou. Ye also should be slain said Lou. But I am of a mind to send you as ambassadors to your king. Tell him that he may seek homage and tribute where he will henceforth, but Ireland will pay him none forever. Then the Fomorians went northwards away, and the people of Dana made themselves ready for war, and made Lou their captain and warlord, for the sight of his face heartened them, and made them strong and they marveled that they had endured their slavery for so long. And that is the remainder of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, from the high deeds of Finn and other bardic romances of ancient Ireland.